Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the podcast, moms. Not a discussion about mothers, although that would be a a nice podcast, but Museum on Main Street, a part of the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C., and their traveling exhibition service. Museum on Main Street gives Americans and citizens of Kentucky access to the Smithsonian for small towns across the nation through museum, exhibitions, research, educational resources, and programming. Moms has been in Kentucky before several times and is currently in the state with an exhibition called Crossroads. For everyone in West Kentucky, the Museum on Main Street Crossroads exhibit is ready for visitors at the River Discovery Center in Paducah. And we'll talk more about that later in the podcast. Since 1994, the Smithsonian and Museum on Main Street has visited 1,600 communities across America. Carol Harsh is the director of Mom's Museum on Main Street, and we welcome her from her home somewhere near Washington, D.C. Her office uh, normally... uh, uh, which I have visited, uh, is in the Smithsonian Institution. I always, uh, I think I probably commented to her what a a wonderful place to um, call an office and go to work to every day. But uh, Carol, it's so good to uh, to see you again and visit with you and, and talk to you specifically about uh, Museum on Main Street. It's my pleasure to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you, Bill. Carol, you've been at the Smithsonian for a number of years. And uh, I, I just I don't know this as far as your background is concerned. Were you there in 1994 when Mom started? Yes, yes, yes. I was one of the uh, one of the founders of Museum on Main Street. Um, we've been partnering with state humanities councils uh, since 1994. Um, that was when the first Museum on Main Street exhibit started. Um, it was uh, based on a collection from the National Museum of American History. Uh, of production posters uh, from World War II. So um, it's called Produce for Victory, Posters on the American Homefront. And we developed five copies of that exhibit and uh, it traveled for a number of years, went to states, um, you know, whether it's the beginning of Museum on Main Street, uh, where the exhibits go to a state and stay there for close to a year. And we'll go to six or seven communities uh, in that period of time. And um, the idea is, you know, it really it really grew out of the idea of the importance of local history and culture. Um, and I think through this partnership between the Smithsonian and State Humanities Councils, we're really able to, you know, um, develop humanities-based exhibitions that can travel to smaller communities, uh, but really with the support and the guidance and, and financial support from uh, State Humanities Councils by way of grants, um, the, uh, the, the, the local communities that host them are, are given kind of an opportunity to, to really think deeply about the place that they call home and, and, and look at the history, look at the culture, look at how it relates to whatever the content of the national exhibit, you know, that's, that's, uh, that comes to town, that comes to visit them. Um, and we really do see there's some magic in that, right? People, 
people um, feel a real sense of pride, I think, in the place in their hometown. Um, and um, and to celebrate that in context with uh, a Smithsonian exhibit that comes to town really shines a special spotlight, I think, on that history. And um, um, and 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 so connecting the two together is has really proven to be quite quite amazing. We've been yeah, this is 26 years now um, that Museum on Main Street exhibits have been traveling, and and prior to that, um, you know, there were many years where um, the the idea just kind of percolated, right, and and kind of uh, um, evolved to the point where there was a group of us that said let's let's try something, let's see if we can make this work. You know, what would it look like if we were to develop an exhibit? That was that where we target smaller communities. You know, the median population for Museum of Main Street exhibits is about eighty three hundred people. So these are these are smaller communities, and so we had to learn a lot about um, developing exhibits that fit into smaller spaces that are easy to put together, that are um, you know can fit through a single door, <laughs> right, um, and be packed in a way that um, even without special tools or forklift or anything like that or a loading dock even you know that the exhibit you know could um, could be used used in these smaller communities, um, but designed in a way that the that their local history, local exhibits, local artifacts and stories you know can can surround it and and help to complement uh, what's in our exhibit. Well, Carol, let me take you back to those uh, beginnings and those conversations that you had with some of your colleagues. Uh, and I know you can't recall each and every meeting that you had, but tell me um, who discovered or when you begin to talk about uh, what you could take to, uh, and let's call it small town America, because that's that's where they end up. And um, what a unique idea this was. Was anything like this being done anywhere else or by the Smithsonian? No, you know, actually, um, in those earliest years, and I, I, I started at the Smithsonian in 1986 um, and in, 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 at the Traveling Exhibit Service, and I was involved in um, uh, scheduling exhibits around the country. And so I worked with a lot of museums, you know, across the country and um, and internationally. Um, at that point, the Smithsonian's Traveling Exhibit Service, we were doing a lot of international uh, partnerships with uh, ministries of culture and you know, other national museums and, and kind of exchange of exhibits, ours, and then they would bring theirs and we would travel it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so much larger exhibits, much um, more pricey, more expensive and, and uh, uh, artifact intensive and, you know, one of a kind kind of very, very high security uh, exhibitions. Um, and, and actually it was through conversations with state humanities councils where people would say to us, you know, love your exhibitions, but they only go to our capital cities, right? They're not, they're not going to our communities around the country or around their, you know, the rural communities, the smaller communities around our state. Um, and, 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 and some of them would, uh, these council partners would say to us, and, you know, honestly, our, a lot of our grants that we give out go to places where there are universities, not so much in places where there might be a community college or, you know, not another sort of uh, 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 kind of um, academic organization, you know, like, mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so we said, okay, let's 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 combine our forces here. Let's see if we can't develop something that would be a traveling exhibit that would go to uh, smaller communities um, and then accompanied with, you know, program initiatives. 
Um, and we actually surveyed, there were 13 councils that, that uh, surveyed, uh, and I think it was over 110, 115 communities where, and I, actually the, the, the State Humanities Council person went and sat with these communities, not just sent, sending it out, but it was a four or five page survey. I mean, it was pretty extensive, you know, but asked questions about the kind of programming that they had done, the kind of expertise that they have, the size of their space. Uh, what's the measurement of your front door? Let's go mm-hmm. measure it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, if, if, the, if we were to bring exhibits, where would you put them? You know, what's in that room? How much space do you have? What's on the walls around it? Could it be wall hung or does it need to be freestanding? You know, how are you going to get that cr- those crates out of the truck? You know, do you have a loading dock? Do you have, you know, and so questions that way. And then there were questions about programming, right? Um, what kind of equipment do you have? What kind of broadcast equipment? What kind of, of projection equipment or, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, um, and their experience in writing grants, you know, and so really thinking it out. Um, and what came of that is that people, we, we came to the conclusion that, the, that these, these exhibits needed to be freestanding. They needed to be about 500 square feet, you know, uh, it needed to be uh, easy to put together, needed to fit through a single door. Uh, couldn't be a double door, had to be a single door. The crates had to be lightweight enough that, that you could carry them up the steps if you had to. Um, and But most importantly, the exhibit had to have a wow factor, mm-hmm. right? It, it couldn't, it not, we're not talking just flat, you know, we're not talking, it had to be, had to be something where people would say, wow, that's, that's from the Smithsonian, right? Um, and, and it had to be substantive enough that it would merit a lot of work and, you know, uh, uh, in terms of programming that they would do around it, in terms of local collections, in terms of engaging community, you know, around whatever the topic was. Um, and honestly, you know, it was an experiment. I mean, we we just didn't really know. Uh, we got some internal funding and uh, a, a group of five state humanities councils wrote a grant to NEH and it was funded for for uh, the grant, uh, for, for um, uh, program grants that could be given to the to the communities that host it. Um, and we really just didn't know what was going to happen. And, and I think the councils and certainly those of us at the Smithsonian, it's jaw dropping. I mean, to see what these local communities did. I mean, it was a really big deal to be recognized in this way for them to be recognized in this way. They, they told us, um, and really wanted to, uh, celebrate their own history and culture. Over the years, uh, Carol, um, go over, uh, for us, uh, the, as you know, we're going to talk about crossroads, uh, in Paducah, uh, with uh, one of the uh, directors of the River uh, Center. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want you to, uh, we'll, we'll kind of end up with that one, but we won't go into too much detail and leave her um, to talk about that. But uh, let's go back and just give me the uh, the names uh, and a little program description of the ones, not all of them. I mean, over 26 years, there's been a lot of them. And I've I've, I've been a part of only two or three of them. So, uh, but, but uh, Tell us about some of them or your favorites or the ones that you thought really struck a chord with people in small towns. Just just talk about uh, what's been done in the past. Well, like I said, the first one was produced for Victory Posters on the American Homefront. Um, so that started in 94, um, 1994. And, and of course, 1995 was the um, the 50th anniversary of the ending of, of World War II, right? So a lot of thinking and and uh, was going on about, about World War II at that point. And 
So the local stories, the local, you know, veterans reunions. um, uh, I remember uh, Rosie the Riveter lookalike contest, right? And fun stuff that way. But then some more serious, I remember in Utah at at a Japanese internment camp, there was a reunion of Japanese internees and and the local people who had been uh, guards. Um, And so they all came together and, you know, reconnected. Um, and so you can imagine, you know, what that would have been like. Um, but lots of stories, lots of uh, of, of impact of, of of home front, and and the contribution that local people, lo- you know, citizens across the United States made uh, in World War II, um, and and a lot of that is local. And 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 what people, you know, one story from uh, a story from one community to the next is going to be different. Um, so it was very very powerful, you know, what what came out of that. The next one uh, was called Barn Again. Uh, it's about barns and and you know um, the the changing um, architecture of barns and geographically how barns are different. You know, and with changing um, uh, uh, our agricultural practices, how barns have needed to change. But yet those those quintessential right uh, the, the 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 kind of barn that comes to mind the red ones with the hip roof and whatever I mean depending on what part of the country you're from you're going to vision something different um, but barns barns are very very special to people and uh, it was it was really really interesting to see uh, in different communities how what they kind of did around that and you know barn tours but also barns that had been uh, that were that were uh, falling apart. Uh, they weren't necessarily needed anymore. So, so how do you how do you how do you um, use them in ways that are that are um, productive and and yet uh, uh, can can restore? You know the barn. Um, uh, there was a, let's see, produce uh, yesterday's tomorrow's past visions of the American future that was around the centennial. Uh, you know the, the year two thousand um, uh, between fences has to do with land use and, and, and the built environment, uh, particularly with fences. But that gets to the idea of fencing in and fencing out and, and, and how, uh, you know, are fences something that separate us? And so there were, there were local programs and stories about, about divisions in communities. There were, uh, I remember a community in Tennessee that at the end of hosting an exhibit on fences now, right, but an exhibit of fences, they, their, the programming that they did around it, they began to realize that there were divisions in their community uh, around race. And they, at, at, at the end of it, they, they decided that they were going to have a day of atonement mm-hmm. and that they, they said that that was our history. We're not going to be that way anymore. Now we're this, right? And that was all around this exhibit about fences. That's that local history. That's a connection to mm-hmm. that, right? Where people really engage, right? And I want people, Carol, to understand that, um, the exhibit that comes from the Smithsonian, that comes on the big truck, that are in crates, um, as you explained, are set up in these community centers or libraries or uh, in Paducah's case, it's called the River Center, uh, right uh, uh, on the river there in, in downtown Paducah. And then a, a local committee, uh, uh, the historical society or somebody in, involved, I mean, they, they ask for people from all over the community, really put together um, a local version of um, of what they want people to come in and see and discuss and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a national exhibit from the Smithsonian, but plus the bonus is a local exhibit. And it's, it's phenomenal to me, the 
uh, fervor, the excitement that the local people uh, have about wanting to display and show uh, a number of things. So um, it, it I'll, I'll just tell you, hometown teams all across Kentucky was such a big hit because people were uh, able to re- put jerseys up and, and uh, cheerleading pictures. And uh, one, uh, one small museum showed a championship basketball game on a, on a black and white reel. Uh, plus, you got all of the national flavor of, of sports across America and how sports, as uh, you've done on every uh, exhibit, Sports displays uh, camaraderie and, and, and teamship and, and the way people get along to, to play a game. So mention a couple of others, and then we'll kind of lead up to uh, Crossroads. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, hometown teams, because of that, that popular culture, I think, really does. That really does resonate. Um, prior to that one was a, one that was um, New Harmonies, Celebrating American Roots Music. Um, you know, interesting to see how music, again, popular culture, but music is very regional. Um, and, and when you look at there's, there's, you know, jazz and blues and things that, that would be across the country, but some music is, is, uh, you know, Zydeco and Cajun music and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, different kinds of, uh, like polka, you know, that that's going to have a regional flavor. Right. And, so music is a way is another thing like sports, I think, where people are drawn to the traditions from their own families, you know, the, the heritage where they came from and the music that they enjoy and listen to, you know, is kind of connected to that. And so when you bring when you have programming around music, um, then you're sharing something about who you are um, and, and 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 there may be a sharing between people from that have come from different places. You know, I remember a program in South Dakota around that exhibit where um, it was an educational program with with native and non-native uh, uh, teenagers. Um, and so there were it was American folk music. A folk musician came um, and did some programming. But we did a summer a summer workshop with with folk music, but then with traditional Native American music, and um, and and a Native American musician came who was a rock star. I mean, this guy was he was amazing, and the, and everybody knew him, and and they could you know they they were like you know starstruck to be around him. And and they but kids both the native and native you know both sides were but they but they shared with each other their traditions you know in that way and that was really really wonderful mm-hmm. um, I think that one has been one of my favorites because music is yeah. something again that you that is special you know to you and your family key ingredients America by food looking yeah. at traditions of food traditions that was very popular here in yeah. Kentucky yeah 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 tell us just a little bit about uh, Crossroads because I think it comes. Um, at, at a particular, particularly uh, challenging, interesting uh, time in, in America, um, changes in rural America, the uh, the great divide that we read and hear so much about that we witness in our own towns, uh, in cities across uh, Kentucky, um, and 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 what what this display, what people in Paducah and in West Kentucky can uh, expect to see. So Crossroads, um, it, it really is, um, you know, change in rural America, Crossroads Change in Rural America, that's the name of the exhibition. Um, you know, it turns out that the last 150 years, there's been quite a bit of change in rural America. Um, some of it um, internally, you know, ha- happened internally, and some of it was imposed, you know, from 
from uh, forces beyond their control. Um, There are communities, lots and lots and lots of small towns around the country um, that some have suffered tremendously with changes in agriculture and, you know, uh, different businesses going overseas or for whatever reason, right? Lots of small towns, um, uh, you know, can get, can get, uh, blown over by mm-hmm. by a huge wave of of, of change, um, and and it's interesting to see how what that what that has meant to not only the small communities but how we even who don't live in small towns um, perceive small towns right. And there's a lot of misunderstanding I think about really what small town America is, um, and uh, it, it's the, these changes um, have been have been strong and inviting. Uh, but there, but in, in in spite of that, the identity of small town. When you when you go, we went in and interviewed people. Um, you know, what does rural mean to you, right? And people people talked about just a, a sense of freedom, a sense of being able to raise your family in a place where you are, uh, where you know your neighbors, where you you know can work together to accomplish something, where you. Uh, are, are just part of natural environment, natural beauty around you. Um, and there's a real wealth that's, that's wrapped into that. You know, people in smaller communities may not have the uh, financial wherewithal that some in bigger cities might, um, but they, they are surrounded with these wonderful uh, things like the natural beauty. I mean, interviews that we did down in Florida where they talked about the sunsets, right, are, are the, you know, the, the fresh foods, Right, you know, right off the, the you know, right out of the farm or right out of the ocean or whatever it is, you know, and so things that that uh, you know that those of us in big cities might might uh, not realize is well, that's pretty special, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but so yeah. small town America, uh, you know, the exhibit talks about identity. It talks about um, you know uh, some of the changes over over the 150 years. It talks about land, land use. Uh, talks about community, the importance of community. Uh, talks about some of the struggles that that uh, the the a lot of small towns have faced have faced through the last, uh, particularly in the in the um, in the last half of the 20th century. Um, but then talks about uh, perseverance. Talks about hanging on, you know, envisioning a brighter a brighter tomorrow, and and changes that people have made, and commitment to you know, new ways of doing farming or new ways of extractive industries or, you know, Main Street um, uh, innovations, you know, that would draw people to their community or, you know, uh, kind of uh, businesses that are, um, that are, that are connected to the place, you know, it might be a craft, it might be a, a skill set that's, you know, there in town that is kind of a, um, a, 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 you know, very unique to that place. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not the big the big, uh, you know, box stores, but something that only that place, you know, could do. And, um, and then ends by really talking about uh, this kind of um, the wealth of small town America, right? The, the rural wealth mm-hmm. is the way we refer to it. Um, and I think people have, that's kind of caught people off guard because sometimes people in smaller towns, I mean, media, Hollywood, you know, mm. It, 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 you get you get hit a lot with yeah, you know sure about a real disparaging look at yeah. small town America and 
And when you really step back and look, there are there are people that will say, well, you know what? We really do have a lot of special here. Yeah. A lot well, that's very unique. That's wonderful. Uh, Carol Harsh is the director of Mom's Museum on Main Street, uh, uh, a a friend, uh, I guess, uh, an, an affiliation uh, that uh, Kentucky Humanities has with the Smithsonian and uh, these exhibits that have come to Kentucky from uh, the Smithsonian for uh, many years. And we're so proud to, to be a partner uh, with you, Carol. And we thank you for giving us that sort of overview of uh, Museum on Main Street. And uh, we're going to uh, tell people that in just a few minutes, we're going to be traveling west in Kentucky, uh, down to uh, the River City, right down to Paducah, uh, to talk more about uh, crossroads change in rural America. Carol, thanks for being with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll be right back after this word from our friends at Spalding University. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Julie Harris is the executive director of the River Discovery Center in Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, We're going to talk to her about a museum on Main Street. But first, Julie, uh, I want to know about the River Discovery Center. Well, I'm very happy to be joining you today. And the River Discovery Center is here because of our sort of our location and what happens here. Um, We, uh, Paducah, is located at the confluence of the Ohio and Tennessee rivers. And we're right upstream from the the, uh, Mississippi and not far from the Cumberland. So quite often uh, we're referred to as the Four Rivers region. And because of this location with so many rivers, uh, the river industry has been a part of Paducah's very rich history. And it has grown and grown to where many of the major towing and barge companies are headquartered here. The uh, river is really what gives us our sense of place. And it, it, it is so important that the people in our community and really our region have an understanding of what uh, the impact of the river is, um, both from an economic standpoint as well as an environmental standpoint. And so I always sort of say the economy has to exist with the environment of the river and the environment of the river has to exist with the economy of the river. But because of the importance of our rivers, um, the River Discovery Center is a place for learning all about the rivers. And we teach everything from 
and we have exhibits that uh, reflect the history of the river, the culture of the river, um, lots of music. Um, we have music stations that play from different eras along the river. And we have uh, exhibits about river bottoms and mussels and river environments and locks and dams. Um, and we have uh, a exhibit that sort of explains flooding and what happens with flooding and what we've done to help control it. Um, we have a state-of-the-art boat simulator, um, which is our most popular exhibit, and it gives the visitor uh, an option of either driving a speedboat, a Coast Guard vessel, or a towboat uh, in various scenarios. And then we have several other exhibits that give people a real orientation where they can ha um, have an understanding of our vast inland waterways, not just here in Paducah. And so really our purpose is to engage the visitor um, through interactive exhibits and teach them about the importance and the impact of our rivers. Well, Julie, let me add uh, to our listeners uh, the uh, wonderful uh, opportunity they have to learn so much more about uh, the rivers, uh, plural. Uh, I've uh, visited with you a couple of times. I mean, you are literally on the river. You're, you're just a, a short walk from the from the flood wall and from the uh, the mighty river that flows uh, near you. Um, and honestly, uh, not until when we were when we were all traveling, and and I was in Paducah a lot more uh, than I am now. Haven't been there in a year now. Um, and the enormous, uh, as you mentioned, but I want you to talk a little bit more about the um, the economy, uh, I, the the uh, enormous um, uh, wealth of, of 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 industry and economic uh, input uh, out. Uh, the growth uh, that the river provides, Paducah, um, is it, uh, am I, you, you have to check me on my facts now. It's either you are the only um, school in Paducah uh, teaching uh, uh, captains, uh, or is it uh, maybe only one of two in the United States? Tell me a little bit about that. I find that fascinating. Well, they're actually not associated with the River Discovery Center. Um, they just are next door to us. And that is the Siemens Church Institute's Center for Maritime Education. And they have three facilities in the U.S. One's up in New York and here in Paducah. And the other one is in Houston. And so um, they are here to provide continuing education for pilots and captains um, for those that are working on our towboats. Um, the captains and pilots have already learned how to pilot a boat, uh, but this provides them opportunities to learn uh, for various uh, scenarios and circumstances which they might not have had an opportunity to experience uh, yet. And so it provides for a much safer river. 
What are some of the, uh, just, just give us a couple of historical facts about the river um, that um, are, are what people can learn more of when they visit the River Discovery Center. Well, one of the messages that I always like to convey is that the river is the safest, most economical, most environmentally safe, and most efficient way to move goods. So we have an amazing graphic uh, in one of our exhibit areas of the uh, number of tractor trailer trucks that would equal um, barges that go through Paducah in a 24 hour period. Mm-hmm. And so the, the uh, comparison is that in a 24 hour period, the commodities that are moved on the river passing Paducah would equal 64,000 tractor trailer trucks. So in essence, we feel, you know, we're somewhat taking some of that off of the road and it's much safer way to move uh, commodities. That, that's a, that's a, a really interesting uh, statistic. And that just shows how important uh, the river is not only to Paducah, to West Kentucky, but to, to, to the entire state and surrounding states. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and that's really one of the messages that we want to convey. And we sometimes see ourselves a little bit as the pol- public relations arm of the river industry because we are able to reach uh, an audience that they don't normally or aren't able to reach. Um, we have visitors from all 50 states and uh, about it varies year to year, but around 15, 15 to 20 foreign countries that visit us. Plus, we typically have, not not on a COVID year, but we'll typically have um, five to 6,000 uh, students come through our doors and participate in our programs. So we're able to, to uh, get this message out. Um, you know, we have a flood wall in Paducah that protects us and is very important. But it also disconnects us from the standpoint of we don't see the river. Uh, And so our place is a way that we can connect people to the river um, through our exhibits and our stories. Well, one of those exhibits uh, perfect lead into our museum on Main Street. I say our, the Kentucky Humanities and the Smithsonian uh, Institute in Washington, D.C., and one of those exhibits is entitled Crossroads, and it's a um, a real serious look at uh, rural America and how it's changing across the United States. And Julie, tell me, um, when did you first uh, learn of Crossroads and, and your interest in bringing it uh, to the River Discovery Center? Well, I, I was uh, talking to somebody yesterday and, and tried to remember back. Uh, COVID gives us a little bit of a haze with our memory. But um, it was back in 2019 when uh, I learned about this uh, opportunity um, coming from the Smithsonian, but through the Kentucky Humanities Council. And 
uh, I just jumped on it and put an application in and felt that uh, the exhibit would be a perfect fit for Paducah and the surrounding community. And so I, I just have been so excited that we've had this opportunity. And so I, I love that it's up and running now. Tell me what uh, your first impressions uh, were after our associate director, Kathleen Poole, came down and spent the day with you uh, putting it together and, and putting it up and the exhibits and all that. Just give me your first impressions of of the, the Crossroads Museum on Main Street. Well, you know... A lot of people haven't been to the Smithsonian, and um, we feel like it's such a unique opportunity for people. Some people have never been to a museum even, and so it's such a great opportunity to for people to have to come to something that's of no charge um, and to experience um, exhibits of such high quality. And, um, it, you know, as we were installing it, that was really something that resonated with me. Um, and because that's important to us at the River Discovery Center. But uh, they do just such a wonderful job of, of uh, getting the message out. Well, it's bringing the Smithsonian to rural uh, Kentucky, um, uh, rural America, in a way that, as you said, um, a, a lot of people never make it to uh, to D.C., uh, to the Smithsonian, and this really kind of brings the Smithsonian to these rural places. Let me just read a, a bit from their website and uh, uh, the importance of uh, rural America in this year, 2021, how, how much it's changed, uh, how uh, rural places in Kentucky are important and how they need to be recognized. And we're uh, honestly, I don't consider uh, Paducah itself that rural. I mean, I, I've always uh, thought of it as a, um, a medium sized city. It's a wonderful place to visit. I hope that um, let's just keep our fingers crossed that the vaccine gets out and, and people are able to travel a little bit more from uh, you, you mentioned all of the visitors you've had. I hope that you include in that 120 counties and visitors from all of those. But uh, this information from uh, the Museum on Main Street website uh, tells us in 1900, about 40% of Americans lived in rural areas. By 2010, less than 18% of the U.S. population uh, still live in rural areas. In just over a century, Massive economic and social changes led to this uh, growth in urban areas. Less than 10% of the U.S. land mass right now, less than 10% is considered urban. So a lot of people in in small areas. So let me just uh, read one other and and sort of ask you a question about this. Um, Americans assume that rural communities are endangered and hanging on by a thread, suffering from out-migration, uh, ailing schools and overused land. But that perception is far from true in many areas. Is that perception far from true in Paducah and McCracken and West Kentucky? Well, you know, it's it's interesting, and, and I'm glad you've been here, so you sort of really know uh, what Paducah is all about. And uh, I read that 
the U.S. Census calls rural um uh, Considers it considers you rural if you've got twenty five hundred or less residents. Well, I, you know, it'd be hard pressed to say if you have forty five hundred that you would not consider yourself still rural. So, you know, that number I, that might be something old, but um, you know, and Paducah is a fairly sophisticated small city. Um, and, you know, the county has 65,000 residents and I think the city's around 25,000. Um, but much of the surrounding area um, outside, outside of Paducah is fairly rural in nature. And, you know, that's really what, why I thought that the exhibit was perfect for us. And it's, it's very relatable. Well, the museum on Main Street Crossroads uh, will be. What is the uh, the end date of your um, having the museum on Main Street at the River Center, uh, River Discovery Center? Our last day is February thirteenth. So there's plenty of time for people uh, listening to this uh, in West Kentucky, especially uh, to visit. Uh, uh, there, there is. I, I think um, I understand some limited travel going on with people. Uh, they, they, we're all ready to get out and and, and do a little bit. Uh, uh, people, I think, uh, are being very safe. Uh, restaurants and and hotels are are being uh, safe, and uh, hopefully they'll get a chance uh, to uh, come down and and visit with you before it uh, leaves. It's going to be in several other locations um, in Kentucky. It has only been in one uh, location so far. You are the, I'm pretty sure about this, the second location. And then I think there are three or four others. We'll have the the rest of the schedule uh, on our website at uh, kyhumanities.org. We might even try to put it uh, close to um, this podcast. So when people listen there, they can um, check check the dates. If you... um, Julie, uh, if you had to say one other thing about not only the crossroads, but about uh, the River Discovery Center uh, as we go out today, um, what would it be? How, what will people really enjoy about visiting Paducah and about visiting you uh, at the River Discovery Center? Well, it's uh, uh, your this podcast is good timing to note that Travel and Leisure magazine named Paducah one of its top ten places to visit for the month of February. Oh, great! And uh, that that's pretty big time for for us, and we are very honored to to have that distinction you know, being a UNESCO city of craft and folk art. So, um, you know, uh, people often when they visit the River Discovery Center, they're very surprised um, and in a good way. And, you know, they just are excited to see it. And it was a really good experience for them. And most people leave with a very uh, new um, sense of the importance of the river, which is what's so important to us. Well, Julia, we have um, a lot of friends uh, in Paducah, and we are always uh, interested in coming down and visiting. And um, And we have, uh, in fact, a, uh, uh, I want them to also know our listeners outside of uh, the Paducah area that 
Uh, Bobby Wrinkle is an excellent board member and uh, is with the uh, McCracken County Library System. They do such great uh, work there, programs all year long. Um, Quite a few of our Speakers Bureau and Chautauqua performers have been uh, to the library, some of our reading programs. So Bobby is just uh, uh, an excellent uh, board member. Uh, One of our our new best friends, uh, Darlene Mazzone with Paducah Magazine. If you're looking for a quality um, magazine uh, that that really compares uh, favorably to any magazine in a huge metropolis area across the mm-hmm. United States. It would be Paducah Magazine, which uh, uh, Darlene publishes and, and writes for. And um, in fact, yours truly has had a couple of pieces in uh, Paducah Magazine. Um, we have other friends. Uh, the Paducah Bank has been a long time uh, a supporter of ours in our Chautauqua program in schools where our performers go into the McCracken County area and, and other counties um, in West Kentucky too to to perform our history series. Um, uh, another supporter of ours, uh, and I know they do so much for the community too, that's the Carson Meyer F- Foundation. They're wonderful people. So I know you know all of these people, but sometimes we don't, uh, we're not able to to give them the kind of recognition that they really uh, deserve. And I know they're, they're a help to you. And we're, um, we're just so pleased that uh, the Museum on Main Street Crossroads exhibit is is in uh, your city, in your location uh, at the River Discovery Center. And I hope um, sooner rather than later, we can we can all um, see each other in person. How about that? Yes. Well, we're just grateful to the Kentucky Humanities Council and, of course, the Smithsonian for their support and for making it possible that um, we can offer this exhibit for, for Paducah and the entire community. Well, Julie Harris, the Executive Director of the River Discovery Center, thanks so much for being our guest today on Think Humanities. You're welcome. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.